Hi, everybody. Welcome to Strategy Cafe. Lovely to see everyone. <clears throat> Before we get going this morning, a quick reminder that um, our past leadership webinars are on the YouTube channel. So if you go search for Alembic on YouTube, you'll see um, a, uh, a playlist there for Strategy Cafe. And there are 58 uh, interviews of leaders and discussions on leadership topics. There's a huge range of sectors and issues. It's an absolute goldmine of stuff. Um, and it includes last month's uh, interview with Matt Price, uh, founder of 10th Bridge, um, which you know, he covered his sort of leadership insights and the journey and founding and um, starting to scale his consultancy. Um, highly recommended. Um, it's a wonderful place to go dive in for ideas and inspiration. If you're looking for something novel to share with your leadership team and ideas to sort of pick apart, it's just a, a huge range of stuff there. So today, following on from Matt's session, we're going to be talking about how finders, founders can uh, get trapped uh, a certain size of business due to problems with uh, shared decision making at the highest level. And we're going to be taking a deep look at the roots of, of this issue. Um, and it's one that affects uh, every leader, all of us, uh, not just founders. Uh, but in the case of founders, it's sort of key to their personal succession. So that's the topic today. And I'm delighted uh, to welcome a couple of new team members. First of all, apologies from Matt, who's not here, supposed to be here this morning, but unfortunately he's down with flu. Um, um, but uh, hello, uh, Barbara and Bert. Maybe Barbara first, and then we'll come to Bert. Just introduce yourselves to everybody. Hello, everyone. It's lovely to be here for the first time. Uh, my name is Barbara. I'm a, a senior strategy facilitation uh, facilitator and coach, and I specialize in transformation. So I support um, leaders and teams in identifying where they are, raise their awareness and getting clear about what they want to do and help them transition to their successes and, and goals. And I'm really interested in having this conversation with uh, Beth, Nick, and hopefully you all, because uh, I think this is a really fascinating topic. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Bert. As you know, I'm a, a therapist and coach. I work with individuals and teams also. A um, number of specialities, including leadership development, and I work with the, the mental wellness, really, of leaders, um, just building on my, on my therapy background. Um, this is a really important subject, I think, a really important topic that, uh, that all leaders need to, to be thinking about. But as Nick said in his introduction, particularly with founders and particularly because of how they identify. So I look forward to get into, getting into that and getting your responses and getting your opinions. Great. So um, let's um, make this a bit of a live conversation. I can see there's some uh, Q&A and some chat going already, which is fabulous. Keep going with that. And uh, while we're talking, I'll keep an eye on it. Um, so if you see me distracted typing away, I'm probably answering a question. Uh, right, Bert, this is your fault. Um, it was your idea that uh, we uh, have this session today, your concept, which is amazing. Um, so I'm going to throw the ball straight over to you for the kind of the ship metaphor and uh, this idea of losing flexibility by getting trapped in an identity. So, yeah, Bert, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. So so I'm going to talk about identity and, and self-awareness as, as, a, as a leader, as a founder, you know, how you see yourself. 
as a founder, how you characterize yourself and how you refer to yourself as a founder and how aware of you are you as a founder. So self-awareness is being considered a very important component of effective leadership. It really started with the work of Daniel Goldman in the mid 90s. He wrote a very important paper later on in the, in the late 90s. Um, and others have taken this work and built upon that. And the conclusions are consistent that self-awareness is absolutely critical in effective leadership. And I'm talking about publications in peer-reviewed scientific journals, not glossy magazines or self-help books. So if anybody wants to do some further reading, please reach out to us and I'll be happy to point you in the direction of some references. Um, so what you do and who you are are not the same thing. But how you relate to these constructs can determine how you respond to your environment or how you respond to challenge. Um, the term founder, I suppose, is in no way a job title, but it's shrouded in identity. It carries with it profound meaning, and that meaning will be different for everyone. So it's worth just for a moment considering what does it mean for you? What does it, what does it mean to you? And if you're not a founder, if you interact with a founder on a daily or weekly basis, what does that mean to you as opposed to interacting and engaging with another senior member of staff? So as I said, certainly the, the term is endowed with identity rather than capability. So one may say, I am the founder, which is an identity statement, as opposed to I founded the company, which talks to what you did. So later on, we're going to talk about the statements, you know, I am the captain of the ship, I captain the ship, and I am the ship. So hopefully you'll feel that those statements land qualitatively differently. So we'll discuss that. Anyone who's done more than two minutes of management training will be familiar with the phrase, criticize the act, not the actor. Yeah, I can feel people nodding through the screens. So that goes to what I'm talking about at the moment. So if you criticize the actor, you're criticizing the entirety of that person. You're criticizing all of them rather than what they did. And so if you are the founder, then you're, and if you're challenged, it's the entirety of you that's challenged not just an idea that you had. And the thing to note here is that if it's the entirety of you that's challenged, you're then likely to defend that with everything that you have. It can change your perspective. Now, anyone in anticipation of anyone who's thinking that this is just semantic or it's just a turn of phrase, language is a really reliable indicator of internal psychological environment. So as coaches and therapists, this is what we pay attention to because it gives us an, a window into what this person's thinking, what this person is about. So in terms of building self-awareness, a really good place to start where I like to start is with internal frames of reference. Simply put, these are our self-concepts, you know, how we see the world, our beliefs, our truths, 
um, how we see the world around us. And we get these internal frames of reference from our culture, our race, our primary caregivers, from school, and they're powerful. They really shape the world as we see it. There are many internal frames of reference, including our relationship to our name, our gender, our parenting. But for the purposes of today's discussion, I've just picked out a few, and I'm gonna go through some highlights of them because of time. And the first one I've picked out is, is mind. So if I'm working on internal frame of reference for mind, the first question I would ask is how satisfied are you with your intellectual abilities? Have you always been told that you're the smartest person? Are you a straight A student? All of these things will shape how you see your intellect. Within mind may sit your ideas and the perception of the force of your ideas and arguments. And that force may disable you from seeing the intellectual abilities of others. If you have a, an inferiority complex around your intellectual abilities and you're challenged, you may adopt a defensive position. If you have a superiority complex around your intellectual abilities, you may be dismissive. Whichever one, it's important that you know, it's important that you understand that about yourself. And another thing that, that we at Alembic in particular are very interested in is the emotional response to this, emotional response to challenge. How, how are you responding emotionally? What is happening for you in that moment? Another internal frame of reference is our relationship to authority. What does that mean to you? You hear me use the word mean a lot because the meaning that we attach to things determines in large part how we respond. But an important question with authority is what examples of authority are you attracted to or repulsed by? You notice if you read, read the newspapers, watch the news, that dictators tend to be attracted to other dictators. I think it's always happened. Wannabe dictators are attracted to dictators. Is your self-concept that because I am the founder, I cannot be challenged? Again, really important for you to know about yourself. Other internal frames of reference are strengths and weaknesses. Is one of my strengths collaboration? Great. Is one of my weaknesses collaboration? Not so great. Unconsciously, we move away from our weaknesses. We tend to move towards our strengths. In large part, that's how they become strengths. But really important to know. And others like virtues, vices, do I, am I open? Do I have a fixed mindset? How do these internal frames of reference shape my ability to listen or to accept challenge? So we would ask ourselves, you know, with regard to the ship metaphor, you know, as the ship gets bigger and I need more people to steer it and operate it, which parts of your identity lend themselves to success or failure? And the last point I want to make, which is a really important point, and perhaps we can address this in the Q&A later, is the need to set aside your own self-concept, your own internal frame of reference, so that you can see a challenge for what it is. Just a challenge to your ideas, to the pursuit of a better answer, as opposed to an attack on you. But as I said, I'm happy to, to discuss this further in the Q&A. 
um, because it's a therapist's bread and butter. So I hope that this segment helps you to see that as a founder, you arrive at this point in your career and you bring so much that makes you you. It's not just the fact that you started with you and a mate and grown to 250 people, but it's the experiences of your teenage years, your childhood, schooling, everything that makes you you has a bearing on how you behave as a founder and how you lead and how open you may be to challenge. So speaking of openness to challenge, I'm gonna say thank you very much and then hand you back to Nick. Thanks, um, Bert. Um, uh, super interesting and a brilliant way to sort of kick us off into the debate. Um, so uh, I would quite like this uh, image uh, here, um, and uh, it kind of resonated with uh, me for one of the founders that, that I know who, when uh, offering uh, delegation to uh, uh, senior leaders at the very highest level about decisions about the company, uh, would say, you know, um, I have the right to overrule the decision. I know I can't use that right, um, because if I use it too much, you know, you won't take the decisions properly. But that's how he always started every conversation about delegation. So um, it's just kind of a beautiful thing to your point, Bert, about the language is so important. Um, you, know, you have to step back and say, what are you actually signaling there about your delegation? Um, and I think it also speaks to a couple of things that are going to come up about, um, about bias. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and um, particularly a sort of a, 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 an idea that um, uh, humans are complex. Uh, and I think it's also worth saying that quite often you can say uh, many different things at the same time and mean all of them. Uh, so you know, none of us is kind of binary like that and just one thing. Uh, so quite often this comes out in a messy way, and I think it's kind of just important to acknowledge that. But just as we get going on this bit, um, I wanted to bring both of you into the conversation and just talk about this idea of safety, um, openness, uh, or not open. So not open, I take as feeling unsafe or more, more less safe. It kind of speaks to this idea of trust. Like if I can trust, I feel safe. I can't trust, I don't feel safe. So this openness idea. And I just wondered if both of you wanted just to come in on that, this idea of safety and, and trust and like, how do you let go? Certainly, it's, sorry, I actually can't see you, Barbara, at the moment. I can just see the slide, but uh, sorry if I cut across you. But certainly whenever somebody says to me, oh, I, I don't trust, I don't trust people. I don't trust those people. I always think that translates as I don't believe I could withstand being my trust being breached. So therefore I don't offer it. Um, so in other words, I don't feel safe or I don't have the resources to be able to withstand um, that breach. So therefore I won't gamble. I won't risk my safety. Um, because if you trust, you give somebody, you offer somebody the ability to hurt you, the potential to do you damage. Mm -hmm. If you feel suitably resourced, then, then you can trust. Well, I, I totally agree with that because trust sometimes um, implies a degree of uncertainty. How do I know that I am really safe? Mm -hmm. And I think there are, there are two parts to trust um, that are really important. One is recognizing the need and being aware that um, in order to uh, be more open, 
there needs to be a willingness to create trust. So that's the first step. And the other bit is about effectively building it, which means um, acting, small acts um, that get compounded till a point where um, safety um, is perceived as enough to be able to let go bit by bit. So it requires a leap of faith sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Building on that, I mean, I've always sort of believed that, that trust is a is a belief. It's a so when people say trust me, it's it's largely meaningless because you can't tell somebody to trust you. You have to act as if you are trustworthy so that they can then believe that you are trustworthy. And that's how trust trust is built. That's why it takes it generally takes time. And when it's breached, it falls off a cliff. Um, so yes, it's those incremental acts that communicate that I am trustworthy, you are trustworthy, and then that person can believe it's the case, then they can feel safer, then they can give more of themselves or expose themselves a little bit more in the belief that they will be safe. I like the idea here, we were chatting about it before, both of you, uh, that, uh, that trust therefore isn't inherently it's in the it's, I like to say it's an emotion um, and uh, I think that's a bit controversial because most people would say it's a core value or something like that but for me the idea of trust is uh, if we're in trust then I feel safe and so and uh, mostly it's used when uh, you say the opposite you say I don't trust right? so so like um, the, the most times it's used is when you say I don't trust that person or, I don't trust the situation so you're definitely expressing emotion at that point if you if you get my if you get my drift here um i really like the idea of the ship here so for me i think it was Bert, maybe you that said this like uh, at some point as the captain of the ship you need to go sleep um and we're not talking about low stakes decisions we're talking about sailing the ship you know perhaps through the night while you're asleep mm. um so these are high stakes decisions we're talking about not minor delegation but major delegation and um you know so you have to feel safe enough to be able to just go to sleep uh, and that, that brings us to a lovely point about how important it is for you as leader to have that resilience, that resourcefulness, that calmness, that openness, to be able to see big picture, to be able to horizon scan, you know, and not to be just so you know, tied up with making decisions, being operational, right? So do either of you have a comment to that? Um, yeah, I guess it it still goes back to that idea of of trust, and and in large part, I suppose we talk about openness, which is one of the big five personality traits. Are you are you open to new ideas? And openness really talks about ideas, um, and also that that those frames of, of reference that we're talking about. What is it in your past that has happened that has taught you? to maintain control at all times, that it is right to maintain control. And if you don't, somehow something bad will happen. Yeah. Is how your worldview has been formed from, who knows, being stood up on a first date or, or whatever it may be, but that has informed how you are. And so therefore, if you are the captain of the ship, you might be thinking, I need to sleep with one eye open. I cannot let go because um, something bad will happen and that will be because of your worldview it won't be the truth 
but it will be your truth because you have made it that way. Got some lovely comments in chat. I'm just going to take the debate forward a little bit into this idea of blind spots. So I think this is a particular issue. This uh, what Bert's just talking about. There's a particular issue with people who are in uh, leadership roles where you're making the decisions. So sometimes talk about loneliness of leadership. It's not it's not really lonely just because you're a leader. It's lonely because sometimes you have to make decisions which are very difficult and you can't tell anyone about why. Uh, and you have to live with the consequence. So it's not really leadership that's lonely. It's it's tough decision making that creates loneliness because it, it it creates isolation around why and how you took that decision. And even talking to other senior colleagues doesn't help with that because they didn't hold it like you did. And I think that particularly plays into this idea of founders because founders started off like that, taking the first risk, making the first decision, enjoying it. It's a roller coaster ride. It's an up and down. Uh, it's emotionally dramatic um they, they you know every founder will encounter sort of existential moments get through them somehow and survive to the next one and you know all founders will know that journey and how um it's a it's a it's a ride um it's it's a rush it's addictive um but it's also extraordinarily isolating and so it's just filled with this idea of blind spots because um ultimately you become uh, just so filled with the emotional energy of uh, being the leader of the business you founded and the business can be you. And like one of the big things people say is don't personalize things because uh, it will really trap your emotions and make it very hard to create neutrality in your decision making. But personalizing the business, taking things personally, identifying this is about me when it's not about me. These are all kind of traps, right? And they're all blind spots. So you may not have heard of the Ohari window, but you might remember Donald Rumsfeld once talking about known unknowns, right? Uh, so I know there are things I don't know and unknown unknowns. Now that's terrifying. I don't know about some things I don't know, right? So these are the blind spots and we're either aware or we're not aware that we can see something. The problem is that when your energy is high like this, when you're the founder, right, your energy is high. It's like the sun on a on a hot day. Uh, the blindness and the focus are both sharpened. So what can happen is you start to see a few things very, very clearly and literally nothing else. Right. And for most founders, that energy is constant, creating sort of light, light and shade, really strong contrasts. So uh, I think like the best thing to say is you definitely need a, you need a kind of a wingman. Um, you know, you need a wingman who you completely trust to look in the shadows while you're focusing on point, you know, and then you need the flexibility to swap so that you can be wingman and learn what that's like and let somebody else take point and make the decisions. Right? And gradually that gets you out of the match and into, you know, the strategy into the tactics, into the development of the team, into the coaching, into the coaching space. Does that make sense to you guys? Do you want to come in on that a little bit? Just repeat the last bit for me, please. The wingman? The extra pair of eyes. Um, I think it's absolutely essential because we can't we can't know everything, you know, going back to the Jahari window, there will always be parts that we don't know. Um, and also the, the really key part of the Jahari window as well 
ethnic is the parts that um, others see of us, yeah? So I think having the wingman gives us a much more rounded view of what's going on. It enables us to be able to devote resources elsewhere, as you were saying. Um, yeah, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. You had a, you had a very good train of thought. Yeah. So I'm going to just take on to the next slide yeah. and just uh, let's just stay with this idea of having having someone very senior around you that you can trust. Maybe it's outside the business to start with, but ultimately you want them with you inside, making decisions, holding that with you. Ultimately, someone who's not like you, who sees things differently, being able to tolerate someone being able to stand up to you and say no, look here, so so important, right? um and um you know so just some signs and symptoms that if you're a you know in a founder team or in a team with a leader that has some of these issues uh that you might kind of spot and you might see so so a few things just some um people will say um like uh, the bigger the ship the more blind spots you're likely to have you just can't see the whole of it right yeah. um sorry to cut across you for me if i can come back in but the key is in having that willingness to come because remember when we first started talking about this we said that the founder is going up against the evidence of success that they've gone from just them or just them and a mate to 250 people so their ideas have always been the best because they've got this success and there's going to be a point at which they need to think actually is this challenge is this wingman going to serve me and so it's that shift in thinking of okay now I can do it or at what point can I accept this challenge or this wingman because I guess the wingman will be challenge it's not just the benefit of having an extra pair of eyes it's also seen or could be perceived as challenge and so that willingness to accept that in the face of overwhelming evidence of success yeah. and I think I think that's the key difficulty for founders. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, it's necessary to be able to see that wingman not as challenge, but as a benefit, as an extra pair of eyes, because that person has a completely different internal frame of reference and is going to bring difference. It's like how we define conflict rather than as arguments or fighting. We define it as the vigorous pursuit of the best answer just frame it that way and so for a founder to be able to say actually this this wingman helps me find the best answer because mm. they can see a different truth they have a different truth and we'll be able to move forward barbara do you want to come in yeah i wanted to pick up on on the comment that um uh steve made in the chat um talking about how important it is for the wingman not to have emotional investment in the business and it's a really interesting question because um i think it, it really depends on where the person is whether it's part of the business or not but there's certainly i believe there is a need for neutrality from someone who uh, provides a different perspective and that is a much wider perspective and therefore 
I, I agree that it is important and at times it is needed having a completely um, non-emotional invested um, support uh, that allows to see things as they are, they challenge fact as they are and uh, that supports you and bring that, that perspective in a different way. And I pick up on that. I think just to just to sort of bring it to uh, the dynamic. Uh, so also, uh, I think a thing to recall is that every day new things happen, yeah. and um, and the level of emotional uh, intensity is going up and down, up and down all the, all the time. So with the yeah. best will in the world, you can be in a great mindset, and then you know something happens, you get some news, and suddenly you're not right. So. Um, uh, I don't think any of us can be a perf perfectly neutral. I don't think that's possible. Um, and I think part of the job of the wingman is to bring strong relational emotion to the stop and look statement. Like sometimes you have to really uh, stand up and be prepared to 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 take a leap back yourself in in a in a board and say no. I'm not doing this. I want you just to look deeper mm. and and hold against everyone whose confirmation bias is telling you not to do that and they're going to go ahead with the decision right so so it is it is um uh you need to be invested enough to be able to relationally call uh emotionally um but also neutral enough to be able to just not get lost in that and be able to make clear a clear statement about the bigger picture so that's how i would kind of mm -hmm. make the point there's some wonderful comments in chat and um, Wanda has kind of um, uh, pitched up for us the Yohari window. So if you haven't looked at chat, just go have a quick look at that. I'm just going to move on uh, the conversation a little bit, some things to look out for, and then come to Barbara with uh, a poll and uh, some suggestions for change. So just very, very quickly. So things you can you might see. So we talked about the bigger the ship, the more blind spots you have. You'll, you may have come across this phrase hero to zero. So that's a really good example what can go on here so no one's a hero and no one's a zero but you know new recruits are all you know best thing since sliced bread until they're not four months later right so uh, that can happen in this kind of environment people might say i don't know what kind of decision we're going to get some of them are amazing they're genius but often they're terrible well, that's a good example you know this might be going on for you there's, you know there's not there's not that consistency you might see uh, delegate overrule all the time delegate overrule as a pattern so please do this okay i'm taking it back please do this no don't do it like that so that can be a pattern you see. Um, a great point is uh, just, you know, the punch that you don't see is the one that knocks you out. So um, uh, just for everyone to be aware of that, um, in the Yohari window, there might be this hidden punch to look out for. So it's important. Um, and this kind of thing is totemic of, of lots of decisions uh, that people make. They're sort of, uh, the technical term is heuristic or biased, but Maybe they're, they're governed mainly by availability of bias, so um, making a decision based on the information that's immediately available and my and my energy, uh, or confirmation bias, like knowing knowing that I've survived means that I must be right and I can rely on me, even though I may have made lots of terrible but non-existential decisions, right? So 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 um, confirmation bias is, is often likely to be there. So just some signs and symptoms to look out for, and I'm going to kind of throw the ball to, to to Barbara. And I think do I launch the poll? Yes, please. So we would really be interested in 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 um, getting your view on the metaphor that we discussed, um, and getting your view of well, which one you identify most with, with or um, maybe founders that you know, because not every one of you might be a founder. So um, 
what do you think uh, they identify mostly with? I am the captain of the ship, I captain the ship, or I am the ship. Because as Berth was saying at the very beginning, all of that reveal frame of references and specific concept about identity. So I am, I captain the ship um, is the winner in between all of us today. Uh, really interesting state of an, um, an identity there. Um, and it sort of implies um, I am not the ship. So I am not necessarily just the business and the business is not me. Really interesting. And, but even in there, there are some um, uh, assumptions that is good to, to check and look at and, and challenge to develop self-awareness. So one of the things that we would like um, you to go away with is some of the um, solutions to what we discussed today. And we as a team discussed what are the key solutions that we can think about resources carry on with the metaphor of the ship that founders can bring in the ship to maintain confidence, especially when waters are choppy and this happens absolutely all the time because as Nick was saying, pressure, um, just a, a piece of news just throws everything that your calmness into a completely different state. But also when um, the ship becomes bigger and has left a port, so there's no view of what was left behind. And equally, there's no view of the next port. So it's really in the middle and in transition and in that period of uncertainty. So the, the three key resources that we would definitely recommend founders to bring in their ships are coaching, facilitation, and uh, a very deep look at the um, um, recruitment and post-hiring process for their leaders and executive teams. And in particular, coaching um, is a very powerful uh, and private personal resource that um, can bring that outside perspective, that neutrality, but also the companionship. As Nick was saying before, founders can feel really lonely because everything is on them. And having that companionship um, that supports to knock down some of the barriers, shed lights on the blind spot and the biases is extremely important. And we tend to work with founders um, with coaching on a number of different um, number of different topics, but raising and and um, and deepening their self awareness of their identity is a big part of it, um, very big part, and especially how to be it without being trapped by it, and um, working on their belief and the belief system and whether it's they serve and it serves them or, or not. And it's often very curious to see how founders who are inherently inherently good at uh, taking loads of risks and, and, and change um, the business might have a lot of resistance instead to change themselves to start with. So working on that is something that 
we do to support them, as well as working on their leadership style. And, and uh, first and foremost is helping them becoming leaders of themselves. So working with the emotions and um, accessing what we call the wise mind, which is the place of calmness and safety that allows base decisions and people and openness to come in. But also developing like critical critical leadership skills like delegation, which is absolutely underpinned by trust. So how do you open to trust and how do you create trust in the environment? And we normally um, um, have a, almost like a, a double solution, double resource, because facilitation then brings the team and the rest of the organization in um, in the work. And that's a powerful resource to um, create a safe space where all of the voices are heard. And then the team can effectively go into action mode. But having created that um, trust environment where everyone feels com feel comfortable also to challenge for the second in command to challenge and stop when uh, a stop is needed. So, and we tend to work with the facilitation on having difficult conversation and working on the interpersonal relationship, um, but also turning the ideas into strategy and into plans as well as creating high-performing themes, because um, we all start and from individuals, but how to create the team and, and effectively create that third entities that allows everyone to play to the strengths and to find the, the roles um, that is key for the success of the entire business um, is, um, is really key. And the third resource that we absolutely recommend is looking at the assessment and looking the assessment of the new people and especially at the executive level that are brought in the business and the post-hiring process because what we tend to see is that um, and this is not for everybody but the hiring process is not necessarily robust sometimes a couple of beers and really good coffees my might feel like that's a good idea, it's a good choice, the person is right. And often what we see is that after a couple of months, um, things fall apart and either the founder fire the person or the person is like, no, I want to leave. Because the hiring process needs to test um, a lot of different things. Um, um, so technical research is absolutely key, but also being assessing for skill set, for values, for cultural fit, for um, having a shared mission, and also um, stage fit, because sometimes hiring uh, a, a director from Google might seem like a great idea because they, they might be the perfect person, but that move into um, a founded lab business that has less structure is, is different, um, requires a load of personal, financial mindset changes from the director point of view. And that's really key to be tested in advance because it's something that when you come into business and then a director who was used to have this amazing structure needs to do, get involved in everything, then that then becomes a problem. So it's extremely important that the hiring process for 
the second in command and in general for the leadership team um, is very robust um, to enable um, success. And also the post-hiring process because um, the transition and enabling the person who comes into the business to um, to try and to get adapted and to find that um, balance where the ship now has got the rota for who is going to um, captain and, and lead the ship during night takes time. Trust in order to build takes time. And therefore, the post-hiring process is extremely important to get engagement and making sure that effectively people can thrive in that environment. So these are definitely the top three. Now we have a few more that um, uh, we definitely uh, would recommend to um, uh, to our founders. Um, but conscious of time, I think um, if anyone has a specific question about it, uh, we can take it in the Q and A uh, session. Thank you so much, Barbara. Wrapping us up with some great comments there on the mission critical nature of um, getting your wing wingman, the most senior leaders around you, getting those right, and just how much time and attention it's worth putting into those things. So I'm going to wrap up just with um, taking it back to the start, which um, Bert gave us a great introduction around this idea of self-awareness and, I guess, um, being prepared to notice your energy and stop um we've all got shadows um if you think about it we've probably also got a blind spot or two which is beyond what we can see even as a shadow um so um i guess the starting point for this is to stop ignoring them um they've always been with us um we should learn to turn to them we should maybe be ready to embrace them and ask them what's there and then maybe someone else can help with that so that's maybe a good place to end with the with the first step which is just stop and embrace the shadows so i'm going to close the webinar in a second um hopefully we can get everybody on and uh, you can continue the call and you can ask some questions and we can dig a little bit deeper just before we get there um uh, some heads up about next time so um coming back into the family domain um next session is going to be with my uh, really good friends Chris Mason and James Mason. Um, Chris is a founder. James is now managing director, his son. So um, next session is gonna be just making that transition back. So founder to family, which is just a great option. Um, tricky to do. Uh, and these guys have done it incredibly successfully. So um, this will be on the 27th of April, 8.30 as usual. Should be a fantastic session um, and some real insights from a very successful global business uh, that we've known for, for many, many years. I come online and see see Chris and James. Um, uh, just a reminder that you'll see our Leading Yourself School is on. So uh, if you want uh, people uh, in your team or you want for yourself to just work on this idea of embracing that shadow and learning self-awareness and, and how to sort of develop uh, a deeper understanding and a deeper consistency and openness and flexibility, this is Leading Yourself School is a great place to start. So, so sign up. Uh, that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed today's session. I'm going to uh, stop the share and I'm going to stop the recording.